Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We celebrate marriages and friendships that stand the test of time, but rarely do we give the same attention to long, healthy sibling relationships, even as more research shows they are deeply formative and complex. Some 80% of Americans have lived with a sibling, whether biological, adopted, or stepbrothers or sisters. This hour, we explore what makes sibling relationships unique and what the latest studies tell us about the impact they can have on our happiness as adults. And we want to hear from you. What do you love or find hardest about your relationships with siblings? How has a sibling affected your life? Forum is next, after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. When Catherine Carr looks back at her childhood with her two sisters, one of whom she lived apart from, she thinks of writer Lynn Barber saying, no one else understands the mess you came from. Sibling relationships are often the longest of our lives. A sibling can be our first friend or first rival, and their impact can be deeply felt. Catherine Carr is host of the podcast Relatively and has interviewed more than 50 sets of siblings to better understand the dynamics between them. She joins me now from London. Welcome to Forum, Catherine Carr. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Really glad to have you. So why dedicate a podcast to siblings? What fascinates you about the sibling relationship? (laughs) Well, I'm a podcaster and a broadcaster. That's all I've ever done. And it was during COVID I was thinking... Oh, I just I sort of had the itch to do something. And I'd been on the phone to my sister, one sister who's a vicar's wife, so um, a pastor's wife, and the other sister who's a prison officer. So kind of really different, (laughs) different worlds. (laughs) And I was on the phone to another friend. I said, you know what, I could just make a podcast about my two sisters. And she said, no, don't do that. But make a podcast about all sisters. In fact, make a podcast about siblings, because, you know, it can be the longest relationship of your life. And then it was like, boom, the light went on. I thought, that's incredible. That's incredible. You could have a relationship with someone that spans nine decades and goes all the way back to the cradle and all the way to the grave. And therefore, they could be the person that knows you best. And that just wouldn't let me go, that thought. Yeah. As you say, the keepers of each other's histories as a result of that long relationship. Um, So you mentioned your relationship with your sisters and how unique they are. I'm curious, (laughs) tell us a little more about it and also what you feel like you've learned from it. Maybe one one really key and important thing that has affected your life. (laughs) 
Well, as you say, I mean, my sisters were sort of the genesis of the idea. And as you said in the introduction, I grew up separately from one of them. My parents split up when I was 11. My mum left and took the baby. She was six. I was 11. And my older sister was 13. We lived overseas in the Netherlands at the time. And after a little while, my dad moved the two older ones, so me and my older sister, back to the UK and left my mum and my little sister in the Netherlands for another gosh, um, six, 12 years, maybe. So I do think that your siblings are the keepers of your history. But I've also had an experience of my siblings not being the keepers of my complete history. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like the author said, Limbaba, no one understands the mess you came from. Sure, that's true. Nobody except me and my sisters know what that was like to grow up abroad from your blood relative sisters. But also we had all of this normal texture of day-to-day life missing and all of these touchstones and milestones. And we had to knit that back together really intentionally. And it's taken a long time because my older sister then moved over to New Zealand. (laughs) When my younger sister moved back to the UK, she went over to New Zealand for 12 or 13 years. So they didn't live on the same landmass for like 28 years or something ridiculous. Um, And so the intentionality behind trying to build a relationship with proper foundations is the thing that made me think about sibling relationships. I think a lot of people don't think about it because they take it a little bit for granted, not in a horrible way, but just because it's the people you rub along with. But if for some reason you've been separated, and that has happened to a number of the siblings I've interviewed on the podcast, and then you have to rebuild, you really realise the value or the potential value of those relationships. And I think that is one of the strong themes that when you're and the thing I find most touching is when you can kind of lose your way a little bit as you get older you know you make choices if you choose a you can't choose b you know if you choose to travel around the world forever then you can't settle down if you choose to marry this guy you can't marry that guy um and your choices sort of define you and they narrow you down a bit and sometimes you make wrong choices I'm not saying I have but sometimes you can end up in less fertile ground for your for you in the wrong pot I like to think and it can be your siblings and it is with lots of the siblings I've interviewed who kind of they're the ones to raise a little flag and say you know what I I don't think this is you I don't think you're happy I don't think this is the person that I've known let me remind you of a silly story about when you were determined or when you were rebel or when you were funny or nosy or cheeky or fearless and that's gone and and they can sometimes only really be the people that can tell you the truth about yourself and return you back to yourself. And that moves me. Yeah. Wow. That's really lovely and beautiful (laughs) to think about. Uh, Many of the stories also on your podcast are very moving. You, you share one from Hashi Mohammed. Hashi, I'm wondering if you can tell a little bit about why that particular relationship, his relationship with his sister stood out to you. Oh, man, that's a really moving story. Hashi Mohammed is an extraordinary individual. He um, and his family um, left uh, Sudan during, after the war there, the 80s, I think it was. <clears throat> and like a lot of refugees ended up in Kenya, just further up the um, African coast on the east side of Africa. Um, lived in a big refugee camp for a while um, and then moved out to the suburbs of Nairobi. He had quite a lot of brothers and sisters. His dad died in this terrible a terrible accident he'd gone out to a car accident where someone had died to see if he could help it was a relative and then ended up dying on exactly the same junction so it was a crazy awful experience their mum wasn't able to look after all the children for one reason or another 
Um, so the kids were sent over to London. Um, they travelled, I think, alone, but they went to live with um, an aunt, I think. So these kids, I mean, I've been to Nairobi. I've been to some of the areas he describes, although not back at, in the 80s, to come then to South London, <laughs> where they were kind of marvelling at street lamps and curbs and um, Marmite <laughs> and ice cream and all of these crazy things. And he supplied a picture to me, this wonderful man who's now an accomplished broadcaster. He's a barrister. He's written a book about social mobility and a book about housing recently in the UK. And he's sent me this picture of himself, maybe three or four years old, clutching this little dot to his sister, Shukri, in a blanket in their house in Nairobi. And then he travelled with that same little dot when they were a bit older over to England. And he is like her protector, 100%. And even in setting up the podcast, you know, he he stood in front of her metaphorically and said, you know, you have to run everything past me. I will not expose her to any risk or upset or I will not make her vulnerable in a way that's uncomfortable. And so that that sort of gorgeous, awful having to be a big man when you're eight had stayed. And that that really kind of shook me. Yeah, we're thrust into such roles by life circumstances vis-a-vis our siblings. And it's really fascinating to hear that it has carried on throughout his life and, and in his relationship with his sister in both a beautiful and also really striking mm. way. I imagine from talking with a lot of sibling sets, you've noticed maybe some patterns and roles or identities that they've taken on. Uh, and I'm curious what those are and, and if they tend to endure. They do, although they can flip-flop. So protectiveness is one of the big ones. I interviewed Jess Phillips, who's a, a Labour, very well-known Labour opposition MP in this country, whose brother was a, a drug addict. He left, you know, he was kicked out of the house. He was homeless. He was a thief. He was addicted to heroin. But she, he'd been sexually assaulted at age 10, which was what caused his life to go terribly off track. So she's always been his big protector. But then when she came into office um, in the Houses of Parliament, we had the murder of an MP over this side of the pond, Joe Cox, who was murdered in her constituency office. Mm-hmm. And and so Luke, who's now clean and on the straight and narrow and studying and really accomplished, there was this kind of amazing flip-flop. He went from the protected to feeling like the protector. So I do think that roles can be set in stone, but you do see that when our roles in the wider family change and you'll you know Laurie will be able to talk more about this academically she's done the proper research but you know if you make your sister an auntie or if your parents pass away and you become the oldest or um I can't think or you get married so you make your sister a sister-in-law to some guy there is a certain adjustment to the sibling relationship and your roles can change but one thing I found very interesting and I wonder if the other guests will back this up in my reading about siblings is that often you can't tell what roles people have in the family when they're outside of the family so you've all had the experience of maybe dating someone that you think is very mature <laughs> um, all of these other sort of emotionally cogent things and then they you, they take you home to their family home and you see them revert in front of your eyes into like a petulant 14 year old who mm. won't he- help set the table or squabbles with their older sister and you're like what the heck just happened there <laughs> so I think that's really interesting that those roles seem to be most solidly defined in the home in relation to your other siblings and it may not be anything to do with your character in the wider world which I think is completely fascinating. Yeah, that is really fascinating to see how people's family dynamics just sort of take over uh, when they're in their presence. 
There's another moment in an episode that you've talked about with Jill Hornby, and you quote her as saying, children in dysfunctional families cling together like orphans in the storm. We're coming up on a break, but I wonder if you can share a little bit about what Jill Hornby is talking about there in terms of cling together like orphans in the storm. Yeah, I should just say my podcast isn't all misery. There's a lot of funny things. There's a lot of teasing and pranks and telling off and funny memories. And you know. I frequently feel like we should say that on forum as well. Like we're not all misery. It really isn't. But Jill and Nick, I mean, you'll know Nick Hornby, her brother from the movie about a boy that was based on the book he wrote. Their father announced somewhere in their childhood that he was off, he was leaving. And furthermore, he had a, a new family, a kind of identical separate family that he'd created and been bringing up in tandem that they knew nothing about so these poor kids like a lot of kids from you know separated parents had to make this extraordinary emotional journey from their dad's house in France where everything was sunshine and you know sodas in the fridge back to their mum who'd been left and was not miserable by any stretch but it was a whole different proposition and kids these few kids together they had to transform on that journey from one to the other and agree what not to say and agree what to say and they've carried that with them, that those two are like the vessels that hold all of those secrets and all of those stories and all of those completely unique experiences. And Jill Jill says she jokes with her own kids. She says, you know, you have no idea. You're so functional. I haven't given you the gift of dysfunction, so you won't have such great sibling relationships with your brothers and sisters, <laughs> which I'm not sure is kind of the way to look at it. But But there is certainly something about trauma or misery or upset that can bond you, I'm afraid to say. But like I say, relatively, the podcast is not all doom and gloom. There's a lot of cracking up uh, on it as well. <laughs> well, we're talking with Catherine Carr, host of the podcast, Relatively. And you, our listeners, can join the conversation at 866-733-6786 or by emailing forum at kqed.org or posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can tell us what you love most or find hardest about your sibling relationship or how a sibling has affected your life or how your relationship with your sibling has evolved since you were kids. Uh, you are listening to Forum. We'll have more with some more guests as well after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about 
the impact of sibling relationships on us as adults. And that's Black Puma, uh, Black Pumas. And we are talking this hour with Catherine Carr, host of the podcast Relatively, which focuses on the relationship between siblings. And I'd like to introduce a couple more people and bring them into the conversation. Dr. Lori Kramer is professor of applied psychology at Northeastern University and a clinical psychologist who studies sibling relationships. Welcome to Forum, Dr. Kramer. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us is Aretha Hampton, a licensed clinical social worker and founder of the Roots Collective in Berkeley. Aretha Hampton, glad to have you on as well. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Really glad to have you. Uh, Dr. Kramer, you've been doing a lot of research on sibling relationships, especially looking at children. I'm curious, what does the research show these days? It seems like there's some recent studies that are showing that uh, close sibling relationships can have really positive impacts on our health and well-being as adults. Absolutely. We're learning more about this all the time. But as you've said, and Catherine said, you know, these have been relationships that have truly been overlooked over time. And as we learn more about the associations between the qualities of sibling relationships and other kinds of outcomes and experiences that people have, we are seeing that having a good sibling relationship, especially early in life, is contributing towards other good things in people's lives. There's fewer depressive symptoms, less anxiety, maybe even more success in other relationships that individuals have with friends, with peers, and maybe even romantic partners. Why is that? Is it because it is so formative? Yeah, I think that it, it, well, it's truly formative for sure. But think about what we do with our brothers and sisters throughout life. You know, they, they are our secret keepers. They know us so much better than others in our world. And if we can figure out how to engage them in a positive way, and that's really tough with brothers and sisters, uh, but, you know, if we can do some fun things together, have a good time, share personal things, learn how to manage conflict, and learn how to deal with a lot of the frustration frustrations and negative emotions that happen through our interactions with siblings, we are learning some really critical social and emotional competencies that we can apply to other relationships throughout our lives. Hmm. What do you say to the to the child who did not grow up with siblings in a conversation like this can make them feel like they missed out on something. I know, but actually they have similar experiences, I believe, with their friends, with their cousins, yes. uh, with other individuals. They figure it out. So only children are not, you know, way behind others. But I think when you do grow up with a sister or brother, you certainly have the opportunity to learn and exercise and practice some of these competencies in a very safe environment. Yeah. Well, Chris writes, I just want to share my personal experience with the adopted siblings of my three brothers and six sisters. Three of the sisters were adopted into the family from overseas, two at ages five, respectively, and one at age 15, all after the other seven of us were born into the family. Wow. We all grew up within the same family and household to this day. I cannot discern any differentiation in my mind or heart between my relationships with the DNA siblings and my relationships with the adopted siblings. Fascinating stuff. Thanks for devoting an hour to the subject. Another listener writes, 
I love how you advertise this segment as a wondrous thing for all of us to share, but unfortunately, my sibling situation, and I don't think I'm alone, is very toxic and depressing. The only way for me to preserve my sanity is to go no contact with them, and I am much happier as a result. I look for substitutes for the gaping hole in my soul, and I find it in my wonderful partner and healthy friends who I trust and who love me for who I am unconditionally. I imagine Aretha Hampton with siblings, as Lori, Dr. Kramer was saying, playing such a big role in our health and well-being as adults, that same power often and can exist to be able to hurt us in ways that others cannot. What have you found? Well, thank you to the caller or the email, the person who wrote in to share that. You know, the common theme is the the community, the parents that we share as siblings. And when you're not able to have a relationship with your siblings, I often wonder what was it like for that child to be in that environment? What didn't happen? So Dr. Kramer talked about some really beautiful things about siblings that, that can occur secure attachment, co-regulation, being seen and held by your sister, your brother, um, who believes your story and you have these shared experiences. Yet what happens when you may have these shared experiences, but you're not seen, you're not held, and it creates this rupture, this fracture that can really pit siblings against each other maybe not necessarily physically, although that can occur, but also the emotional barrier that that that's get built. Yeah, you've said something really uh, fascinating to my producer, Grace, when you talked about how children may feel like they were born, they may have been born into the, um, biologically into the same family, but that they weren't necessarily born into the same conditions. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you've seen that play out and what you mean by it? Oh, yes. And so it's not just born. We're also talking about adopted. So Sure. Yes. Thank you. Children may have the same parents or the same caregivers uh, physically, but emotionally, the caregivers, the parents can be different. So, for example, you know, you're the oldest. You're, you know, the firstborn. And you have a sibling who comes along four or five years later. Well, how the parents engage with you can be different than how they engage with this new sibling. And it's typically because the parents may know more, so they're different. So they may not be as strict. And it's because they've learned, say they've learned like hitting a child is not healthy for our children. And so they no longer spank their children. And the oldest child can say, well, or feel, well, you did this with me. How come you don't do this with my sibling? And when parents don't communicate, when they're not able to explain why they are different in their parenting, the siblings can feel or perceive that their younger siblings have it better. Oh, mom didn't do that with you. She did that with me. She must like you more. And so then we can have this dynamic that's created where there's some resentment, there's some frustration, and it's because there's a lack of understanding, a lack of parents being able to bring their children together and explain why the family is changing. 
Dr. Kramer, how do you see that playing out, the the recognition or the feeling that you are being treated differently than your siblings? Maybe there were economic conditions that contributed to a lack of what was available to an older child than a younger child or vice versa. I'm curious the effect that it has on siblings and sibling relationships. Yes, you know, Aretha is is absolutely correct. It can have devastating impact on um, the sibling relationship, the parent-child relationship, as well as the individual's sense of self-worth. We've done a lot of research on parental differential treatment with adolescents and parents and, and really seen that in action. However, um, you know, parents don't always or should not always treat their kids exactly the same. Uh, there's a lot of times where it makes sense to children and adolescents and young adults that their parents do treat them and their siblings a little bit differently in accordance with who they are, their needs, their characteristics, as well as their, um, you know, what they really need to, to thrive. And kids really want parents to recognize that. When these adolescents, young adults, kids feel that they understand why they're being treated differently from their parents and they think it's warranted or fair, then we don't see the kinds of devastating impacts that, that Aretha and I were just discussing as well. So perceptions of fairness really seem to be very important. And Catherine, I'm curious, when you are doing your program, are there moments as adults, when you're dealing with adult level issues or problems that can bring out sibling tensions that they're working through when they're talking with you? <laughs> oh, really interestingly, I did. I'm sorry, my dog's barking because we've got trick-or-treaters starting to come to the door. <laughs> That's right. It's much later. Um, we did do one set of twins, the Van Tulliken twins, who over here, they're both doctors, but they're also TV presenters, broadcasters. They're really excellent. One uh, twin was or uh, podgier, fatter than the other. And so they started making programs with their sort of doctor experience about food and stuff like that. But they, interestingly, have to employ someone, more or less, to do family sort of systems therapy with them on set, on TV, to stop them rowing because they still row like they did when they were kids. They can still press each other, you know, they can still press, press each other's buttons to drive each other crazy. And that is one of the standard questions I ask. When I do the podcast, I talk to one sibling first alone and then the second one alone and then together. And I'll ask pairs of questions like, what do you think your role is? What do you think so-and-so's role is? What could you do to wind so-and-so up? What could they do to wind you up still? So you reveal these things which are like really old in terms of sibling history, but some of them still pertain to the, you know, the present day. They're still you know, they can still drive each other mad. I would say the fault of my podcast, which I'm very well aware of, is that generally it attracts siblings who get on, who want to do a fun podcast together. Um, and that sort of misses out a whole section, like Aretha was talking about, of siblings who've had more problematic relationships and perhaps haven't maintained good, re you know, good relations. So I'm aware that's kind of missing. Yeah. Well, a couple more comments. Susan writes, I was born the last of three with big brother, nine years older and middle brother, four years older. I always said I have three mothers with my extremely loving brother seemingly always watching over me. We remained ridiculously close all our lives. As my middle brother and I moved away from Southern California, we talked on the phone and later by email or text many times a week, sharing experiences, discussing politics and more. 
Two years ago this month, my eldest brother died. Devastated, I told my brother it felt like we were a three-legged stool, and now one was gone. He told me we'll learn how to stay upright as a two-legged stool. Uh, another comment, interestingly, about loss. Uh, Nancy writes, I lost my much younger sister to pancreatic cancer this year. The age gaps are such that we three sisters never lived together, and as adults we lived all over the country. But there's now a huge hole in our sisterhood. Losing parents is hard, but expected. Losing siblings, especially younger siblings, is a special kind of grief, and it rejiggers all the relationships among the siblings and their spouses and children. Love your siblings while you can. You never know when you will lose them. Oh, I'm so sorry, Nancy. And also, Susan, for the losses that you are sharing. I'm so struck by Nancy saying, uh, Catherine, that losing a sibling is a special kind of grief. And, and while you do focus on a lot of joyful stories and fun stories in your podcast, I think you have interviewed a twin who lost their sibling. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Can you tell us? I have. I did. That? Yes, I did. I did a pair of podcasts. One, interestingly, about um, a brother whose brother died before he was born. In fact, that's happened a few times, but they have a sense that perhaps they're not the oldest because someone came before them, even though they never met them. That's um, Reverend Dr. Giles Fraser um, in the UK. But the twin, Emma Spearing, she's a kind of up and coming playwright. And I heard about her because she wrote this play. And now the name of it's going to pop out of my head with COVID brain, but I'll think of it <laughs> about the loss of her twin. And she nursed her twin right at the end. Her twin had gone away um, and lived in Spain, I think. But then at the end of her life, they were together. And the writing in the play and the way she described the scene of her sister's death, the sort of disbelief of it and the absurdity of that moment. If you're in a very high intensity moment, it can often seem weird and like out of body and absurd. And you can't believe it's really that bad or sad or good or whatever. And that really happened to her. This was, you know, her, her roommate. <laughs> who is now leaving her. Um, it's called Whole, the play. Thank you. Uh, and that's why, because she doesn't feel whole anymore. She feels half, like that three-legged stool. You know, if you have functioned, if you have a certain way of tessellating together, and I think with twins, I'm not a twin, but I can imagine it must be a whole other order of intensity. To lose the other half must be so hard to endure. And she writes about it incredibly I know people who went to, I didn't get to see the play but um I've read it um we're in, so moved so moved the grief is visceral hmm. let me go to caller Arlene and Alameda hi Arlene hi oh my gosh thank you so much for such a wonderful program and Oh, I've been brought to tears. Very moving. Um, I did want to share. I grew up with um, very fortunate uh, with uh, loving parents, my older brother and I, and I grew up listening to them talk, 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 and I picked up on that and learned so much. He's been through so much, and he's hanging in there. Um, well, we're older, and of course, there are various health issues. He's been sober over 30 years. Of course, it's one day at a time. And uh, he lives in another state. We talk at least for an hour. goes by so quickly. There's no subject that, um, you know, doesn't interest us, that uh, certainly politics and entertainment and family. And um, he's, I just feel so blessed. Uh, he's my brother. He's so loving. He's got a great sense of humor, although it's hard to make him laugh. And if I say something funny, you know, he'll tease me. But if I can make him laugh, it just uh, makes my day. <laughs> well, thanks, Arlene. I'm so glad that you shared that. I'm glad you called in. Let me go to caller Dennis and Martinez next. Hi, Dennis. Hi, how are you? Great, you're on. Um, so I want to share a story 
Um, I have, um, I'm really nervous. Um, I have three sisters and four brothers. And in uh, the 90s, I applied for a, um, to get a little brother through the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. And uh, at the home interview, the, uh, the, the lady who was interviewing me asked me um, about my siblings. Started with my oldest sister. And uh, did we ever fight? And I said, oh, yeah, all the time. And she kind of like looked up like, huh. And um, she asked about my older brother and did we ever fight? And I said, yeah, all the time. And, you know, she went through about four of my siblings and I finally just stopped her and I said, you know, my older sister beat up my older brother who then beat up his younger sister who beat up the next younger sister who beat up me and I beat up my younger brother. That's just how it was. But we're all, you know, good friends. We get along, you know, 50, 60 years later, we're all super close um, siblings fight. And she just couldn't understand that. But I did get a little brother about a few months later. Took a chance. <laughs> and it's worked out well, Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out fine. Well, thank I was, you. you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks I for sh sharing that. Yeah. Go ahead. I should share, share one very funny story before I have to go. But yes. one of the sibling pairs, this TV presenter and um, her brother, they said they used to, they're from the north of England. They used to fight. They used to sit by the TV and Dennis, you might. Um, resonate with you and they'd fight and they'd fight and then all of a sudden there'd be this unspoken moment and this is brutal this is the 80s um, where they <laughs> would both realize it had tipped over to a certain point and they would dash for the utensils jar in the kitchen by the hob and the person who got the meat tenderizing mallet first tended to win the argument oh. and they would grab literal weapons from the utensils pot. I, I mean I was horrified but they were like yeah looking back at it, it's not right is it I was like no it really isn't but you know that there is there is violence and kind of upset as well in sibling relationships let's be honest you learn a lot by doing things wrong well the intensity of a sibling relationship is truly unique but you do learn a lot from them and learn a lot from your podcast Catherine relatively thank you so much for coming on as uh and giving us your time before you had to to have trick-or-treaters <laughs> And so on. Thank I know you've so got to get to them. Me. So thank you. Thank you. Ka Catherine Carr, her podcast relatively focuses on the relationship between siblings. And that's what we're talking about with Dr. Lori Kramer as well, professor of applied psychology at Northeastern University and Aretha Hampton, licensed clinical social worker and founder of the Roots Collective in Berkeley. You, our listeners, are also sharing your stories, experiences, reflections, and insights about sibling relationships. And we'll have more with you after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. No one knows you like a sibling, and that's what we're talking about if you haven't guessed by the music. Siblings are the keepers of family secrets. They know how to push your buttons. They're probably the longest-lasting relationships many have in their lives. We're looking at sibling relationships and hearing from you. What do you love most or find hardest about a sibling relationship? You can share them at 866-733-6786. You can email them, forum at kqed.org, or you can post your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Dr. Lori Kramer is with us, clinical psychologist who studies sibling relationships, professor of applied psychology at Northeastern University. Aretha Hampton is with us, founder of the Roots Collective and a licensed clinical social worker. And of course, you, our listeners. And just before the break, Dr. Kramer, we had that comment from Dennis who talked about fighting a lot with his siblings and yet they're being very close. I think I read a stat that you said that siblings can have seven and a half disputes per hour, especially young kids. Especially young kids. It happens constantly. And we only measured those types of conflicts that that we consider to be extended. So oh. it's not that, you know, simple, you know, nasty look. It's really a back and forth. It happens so frequently with young kids. And, you know, it lessens over time. Um it can mean nothing in these relationships, but it also can be a signal that it's something's going on that really needs attention. And it certainly affects the quality of family life. I see. Because there's this question of, you know, can fighting be good for siblings because it forces them to have to deal with working through things, having conflict or working through conflict and so on. But I'm, right. I imagine whether or not it, it can be a good or safe space for kids to fight depends a lot on the on the caregiver, the caregivers they have? Yeah, it could be. It could be. I mean, you really need to make the distinction between those types of fights and aggression that really get abusive, physically aggressive, or emotionally damaging. That's not usually what we're talking about. We're talking about the you know, the, the garden variety of uh, sibling conflicts that we see. And um, kids do learn a lot from those, you know, non-personal, non-aggressive types of conflict. They're learning, you know, you're never going to learn how to deal with conflict if you never experience it. And doing it with a sibling can be a very safe way to experiment with different types of, of standing up for yourself and fighting back and learning how to deal with the very unpleasant emotions that happen during conflict. It's really tough if you never have those kinds of experiences with another child. You learn so much from doing it. But yeah, parents do make a difference in how they help kids learn how to develop the kinds of skills that they need to be able to manage these conflicts when they when they happen. Mm. Well, Nick writes, I'm 
second in line of five siblings. My older sister and I were like sibling enemies growing up in a family with a lot of conflict. This gradually transitioned so that when we were both in college, I would stay overnight at her and her husband's home and talk about growing up. Today, she, along with my younger sister, are like soulmates and are inextricably connected. They are the mo- they are among the most precious beings in my life. Aretha, I'm curious how you have seen sibling relationships that start out tough and with some of the issues that we talked about earlier, how you have seen them evolve, like what helps them evolve and change? Well, you know, siblings are our first friends, right? They're, they're, they're our, our playground where we learn how to be. And it's so interesting that siblings can fight, fuss at each other, you know, in the childhood home, and they become really great friends as adults. So when we talk about who sees you, who holds space for you, when you're in an environment in a family system where, yeah, you 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 and your siblings are fighting, the parents, the caregivers have created a safe structure for you to test things out on one another. Mm. That we often see this later um, in adolescence, early adulthood, because I can see my sister as my sister, as my friend. Um, this person has been around for me. And yes, yeah, she stole my clothes. You know, she um, took my favorite jeans without asking. And it is the repair process that we experience over and over and over again. And once it's hardwired, my sister, my brother, my cousin who was raised in the same home as me, this is my person. And so it is through these experiences that we have um, that can create this really beautiful dynamic. Hmm. Without repair, then we're seeing the other side of the coin where siblings are not able to come together and be with each other because there was not the opportunity for repair. And repair means that not only do I apologize, but I show that I have the behavior to be different with you. And so people can apologize and give lip service and the behavior continues to happen because the environment, whether it's the parents are dysfunctional or there's been some tragedy, if there isn't that process, that repetitive process, then it's hard for me to see you want to be around you. And therefore I have to have my boundary. This thing about seeing each other. Wendy writes, my brother told his therapist he was glad he wasn't me. He recognized that I was treated differently by our mother and helped me understand I was not imagining it. He also provided a tape of a long-ago therapy session my mom attended with him that I provided to my therapist. What a treasure trove that was. Thank you, brother. Uh, Let me go to caller Frank in Mill Valley. Hi, Frank. You're on. Hi, I'm, my uh, question is was prompted by Catherine's remark about taking a boyfriend back home, or not to her home, but going to his home, and watching somebody that she thought was entirely together uh, disintegrate back to a 14-year-old. Um, mm. I'm an oldest of four, and the motto in our house was, of course your family can push the hot buttons, your hot buttons, because we installed them. Um, and so the question to the panel is, not merely the learning and growth experience that goes on between siblings, but how do you see the sibling carrying this pattern into their, their lives? There was a book written a while back called Getting the Love You Deserve, which talked about recapitulating family relationships 
in an attempt to resolve underlying conflicts that were hardwired into you. Is, is that something that you folks see or how do you how do you deal with it? Yeah, Frank, thanks. The way that some of these dynamics don't change and go into our adulthood, Dr. Kramer, what are your thoughts on what Frank is asking here? Yeah, I think I think there's something to that for sure. We develop our sense of who we are, our identities, not only in terms of our own personal thoughts and desires, but also in relation to how we perceive our siblings. And it's very interesting to take a look at how that how that works. When there's been some unresolved issues or problems, I think it is very important to to take a look and see whether some of those maybe more uh, less functional just, uh, dynamics are being carried that, that you're carrying those dynamics into other relationships, maybe seeking partners uh, as friends or romantic partners that, um, you know, subtly make you play out some of those issues again and again and again. Um, but I do think that therapy, counseling, and a lot of insight and reflection can really help people examine it. All of this yeah. really is a testimony to the importance of these relationships that we've really undervalued over time as being influential. Laurie, I read in a piece that you were quoted in that a lot of times people only see their siblings at big family gatherings or at holiday events, especially if they live apart. And that that's why they can end up sort of regressing yeah. into their old patterns and dynamics. So would it be helpful for them to try to see each other outside of these contexts? <laughs> I think it's important as adults to see each other in a brand new way, you know, with their adult selves, because, you know, it's so interesting. You could just get on the phone with a sibling or a parent for that matter and, and find yourself reverting back to some of those childhood patterns. But you have to remind yourself who you are now. And I think it's important to carry that that through. You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of sibling relationships where people haven't really gotten to know each other as their newly formed adult selves. And, um, you know, it's it, 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 people may be afraid to really connect at that level or are afraid that they'll be rejected by their sibling or not not understood. And that could be at the basis of some of the cutoffs that we tend to see. There are adult siblings out there who choose not to relate to one another. And it's it's terribly sad in most of those cases. Hmm. Well, Jesse writes, our father died when we were in our early teens. Our parents separated when we were still in our single digits. We kids grew up together in pods divided between both parents, yet we all get along except for one sibling as he's become somewhat of a recluse since our mother died from Alzheimer's just over three years ago. I recently officiated my youngest brother's daughter's wedding. I flew out of state with our eldest brother, and the three of us spent four whole days with each other, something we hadn't done since our dad died 45 years ago. It was a blessing, and our love for each other was more apparent than ever. We're talking about the enduring ties of siblings uh, with Dr. Lori Kramer and Aretha Hampton, and you, our listeners, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Another listener writes, what happens when parents favor one child? They excuse what they do wrong, yet punish the others for less. A real, quote, good child versus bad child, even though the good one does more wrong but lies about it. This continues into adulthood, and the good child loves and perpetuates the dynamic. Aretha, I think you have talked a lot about this as being a common thing that comes up, that there is this 
that there is this perception or reality um, that the perception derives perception derives from that uh, that one child was favored over the other. What kind of advice do you give in these kinds of situations, or what does repair look like in a situation like that? Repair is, you know, the children who experience being treated differently. You know, it it's really difficult, and it's, it can be very sad, and it can shape how you engage, not only with your family, but also with friends and how you carry yourself out in the world. So repair is one, I think there, I mean, I might maybe biased, but therapy is awesome because it is a place where you, it's like being in the, the, the sandbox where you can, with a therapist, talk about the things that don't feel good, say the things that you've always wanted to say, but didn't have the capacity to say and learn how to express yourself because the conversation can happen with a sibling who was treated more favorably. And yet if the parents are still alive and still have uh, the ability to communicate, that child, that adult child can have a conversation with the parent. And that is the beginning mm -hmm. of repair, not to change things, but to be able to let the parent know how you feel, being able to express all of those things. And then I also want to say this about the child that the parent treats more favorably. I often wonder if that is the child who may have had a chronic condition, if that was the child who may have looked like a family member um, or had characteristics of something that the parents thought were easier. And so then we're talking about that child who's being experienced as being treated differently, um, recognizing that it wasn't about them, that mm. there wasn't a fault in themselves, that this is something that the parents were experiencing and therefore being able to let themselves off the hook for mm. feeling responsible for something that was not in their control. Well, Andrew writes, I have a younger sister who's six years younger. I'm in my 30s and she's in her 20s. Despite my parents wanting us to be on good terms, I do not expect much of a relationship. After grandparents on both sides of the family passed in the last few years, neither parent is on good terms with their siblings. I find it hypocritical that my parents expect us to have a good relationship when they don't with their siblings. Lori, I'm curious about this. For d Does this tend to get passed on? Uh <laughs> Yeah, we did some research looking at intergenerational patterns of sibling relationships, and it was very interesting, um, especially for mothers who had a poor relationship with their siblings growing up. They actually had kids who got along better than the kids whose moms had a good sibling relationship. And we really unpacked that and and came to see that the moms who had a negative relationship with siblings growing up really thought about it. They tried to analyze what went wrong. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it came down to feeling that parents had treated them and their siblings differently in ways that they felt were unfair or unwarranted. And then sometimes it had to do with the way that conflict parents addressed the conflict that siblings were, were having. So these were the moms who were very intentional about doing things differently with their own kids, and it paid off. 
So where is the research going? What are some of the new things that you are looking at with regard to sibling relationships? And since we began the conversation sort of talking about how it is rather understudied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Perry. I think that we're moving in some really wonderful directions where we have more researchers interested in the quality of sibling relationships and the difference that it makes in people's lives than ever before. So I think we're going to learn more about the ways that good and poor sibling relationships have impact on people's well-being and health over time. And uh, some of the things that I've been working on are, what do we do now that we know more about what drives good and poor sibling relationships? How can we translate this into tools that people can use to improve sibling relationships? So I think we'll see more. Yeah, Aretha, one quick uh, piece of advice for for people who are entering the holiday season (laughs) and about to see a lot of their siblings potentially. Yes. You know, one, eat before you show up, drink your water, (laughs) meditate, remind yourself of who you are in this moment, your joys, your achievements, um, and not allow yourself to be taken to the past into that childhood role because you're no longer there. You don't have to be that 14 year old. Well, uh, Aretha, really appreciate you being on with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Aretha Hampton is licensed clinical social worker and founder of the Roots Consultation Services in Berkeley. Also, Dr. Lori Kramer is with us, professor of applied psychology at Northeastern University and a clinical psychologist who studies sibling relationships. Thanks to you as well, Dr. Kramer. Thank you so much. This was lovely. And also my thanks to Catherine Carr, host of the podcast Relatively, who joined us at the beginning of the program. The listener writes, what do I love most about my brother? No one else can make me laugh until my ribs hurt and tears flow. He gets my sense of humor to a T, which I guess has not changed much since we were small kids. You have been listening to Forum. You have been hearing about siblings and sibling relationships. Have a great evening. I'm Mina Kim. time of your lives it's the time of your lives break down break down gotta spread love around gotta spread it all around funds for the production of forum are provided by the members of kqed public radio the germanicos foundation the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.